clip. And so we were watching this one and we thought this would be a really good one for what we're going to talk about this morning um, because the contrast that we see here is going to set up what the Bible is going to talk about here in Hebrews 10. The contrast between worshiping as a church, which involves music and involves, um, you know, singing and jumping, as the case may be. And then this issue of forgiveness, because as we're going to talk about this morning, worshiping God in church has a lot more to do with being forgiven than it does with singing. All right. Now, I know that may seem contrary to what we do on Sunday morning, but singing is something that we usually ascribe to worship. We usually say, well, that's worship. Whereas when we are doing the, you know, the part of the, the prayer where we talk about forgiveness and we do some other things in church, we don't think of that so much as worship. But we're going to be talking about worship in our series here. Um, oops, we forgot about God. And uh, Chuck, oh, there we go. Thanks. Uh, oops, we forgot God. Um, that's our series that we've been working through. As I mentioned the last couple of weeks, it's easy for us to go through life and to forget God. It's easy for us to say, you know, I've just been too busy this week, this month, this year, this decade uh, to really deal with God. And so therefore, you know, I've just kind of forgot about him. It's just been a challenge um, for me to get my spiritual life together um, so I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm going to worry about other things that are more important. The challenge for us, though, is to not forget about God. And in fact, the challenge is, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Challenge is for us to keep um, God central in our lives, to keep worship central in our lives. In our life group curriculum, CJ, who writes our life group curriculum, um, CJ quoted a famous pastor in America who said that every problem is really a worship problem. Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I would probably disagree um, with that statement, because I would view every problem as being a uh, brokenness problem, a sin problem. I would probably define it that way. But he's still pretty much accurate, because our problems come from not keeping God sinner in our lives. When God is sinner and is the focus of our lives, our lives just run better. Um, they're, the reason why is because they're running the way that God intended them to do. So, Centrality of Worship, that's our series, the subtitle of a subtext of our series that we've been working through. Our strategy is this. The first week we talked about worshiping God in our life. Um, we looked at Exodus 20 and we talked about um, just from the beginning of the Ten Commandments, the sort of the preamble to the Ten Commandments, about how we keep God centered in our lives and how we focus our worship on Him. And we talked about the fact, and we're going to bring this up today, some of the things that we talked about, not everything, but a few things we talked about is number one, that we talked about that non-Christians cannot worship God. Someone who does not have relationship with God cannot worship God, okay? Um, and you may say, well, that's weird because what about all those other people out there who light candles and who do things, right? Don't they worship God? No. And we're going to talk about why that is today. I mentioned that and I gave you some examples. A big part of that is, is because as um, Moses reveals when he reveals the Ten Commandments to or shows the Ten Commandments to the people of God at that time, he starts off by doing what? He starts off by, first of all, talking about who God is, right? God has demonstrated himself, and then talking about how God is a jealous God. And we talked about what that means is, is that God is desiring those people with whom he has a contract with, with whom he has a covenant with. If a person does not have a peace treaty with God, if a person does not have a covenant with God, then that person has a one-dimensional relationship with God, which is God loving them and pursuing them, but them doing whatever they want to, okay? Um, for those people who have a covenant with God, who have a peace treaty, a contract with God because they are a believer in Jesus, 
a believer in the Messiah, whether it's before the Messiah, after the Messiah came, doesn't matter. They believe in God's Messiah. When they have that kind of covenant, then it's a two-way relationship. But God says, I want you to honor your half of that relationship. It's not really half. We probably have like a 10% part of it. I want you to honor your part of that relationship by worshiping me. And so one of the challenges that we face is to keep God central in our lives. God knew that, which is the reason why when we look at Exodus 20, the first um, major covenant, first written down covenant in a sense in the Bible. There's obviously covenants before and after that are smaller, but the first major one that was written and really adhered to um, on a day-to-day basis. When we look at that covenant and we look at God relating to his people through that covenant, he knew that the hardest thing they would do is what? The hardest thing they would do is keep God centered in their lives. So what did he say at the very beginning? I've demonstrated myself to you, but listen, if you make a covenant with me, I'm going to be jealous. I'm going to real, not stalker weird jealous as we talked about. I'm going to want to be with you because you're my people. And so if you go off and you love some other God, it's going to make me very unhappy. It's going to make me very sad. Again, we use examples for marriage. We can break this down and use marriage examples. Um, and you can see how it works in that dynamic. Okay. That's too long a recap. Last week, recap real quickly here. Uh, we talked about worship in our family. We talked about the need for us to worship God, not just individually, but also in our family. One of the big challenges for the church here in America is to keep the gospel centered on the family rather than it be delegated out to other responsibilities. So I talked about in the average church, people kind of just do what? They kind of, they're individual. They're very much individual. They come to church. They all scatter into eight different directions. They come back together afterwards. They never talk about it again. Everybody has kind of a very individualistic approach to faith. But when we read the Bible intently, looking for what God desires for us to do, there's more of a family and a community aspect to our faith than just simply saying um, that it's all about me. One of the challenges is, is that many Christians, especially since our theme this year is lukewarm Christianity, one of the things that is most liable for a lukewarm Christian to do is to desire to delegate out the spiritual growth of their kids to schools or churches or something else like that. And as I told you last week, I don't want your kids. Don't delegate your kids to me. That doesn't mean we don't want to have a great and we, you know, working on a great kids ministry. Doesn't mean we're not going to build the building where we have, you know, for, for kids and that sort of thing. Doesn't mean we don't want to do all that stuff. Doesn't mean we don't do all that stuff. What it means is, is that each parent has to take responsibility for their own kids, to disciple their own kids, because nothing says God matters like a parent telling a kid that over some Sunday school teacher, okay? Um, The problem is is that many of us go through life, and perhaps we were raised like this. We certainly see people who come in the parking lot, they drop their kids off at the door, and then they go do their own thing, and that tells the kids that what? Church is too boring for me. I'm going to make you suffer because I'm a mean parent, and then when you grow up, you don't have to make your kids suffer that way which is why people leave the church a lot of times when they're 15, 16, 17, whatever the case may be. It's also why there's so many problems in churches in general is because churches are seen not as a place where people worship together in community, but as seen as sort of a individual place whereby you can sort of connect with God on a willy-nilly basis, and that's just the way it is. All right, so we're going to continue. By the way, we talked about the Shema. Um, I should mention the passage, um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 last week and um, the idea that we ought, let me just mention one other big subcurrent of the series which is that when we teach our kids um, what it is to worship God when we're actively engaged with them 
and when we're talking about in our own lives, and we're going to talk about it today in our church, that you cannot deal with ritual. You cannot teach your kids ritual and be successful. The church cannot teach itself and its people ritual and be successful. You yourself cannot practice a ritual because the ritual is not what puts you right with God. It doesn't matter how many times you bow, you genuflect, you kneel, you raise your hands, you take communion, you get baptized. None of those things matter unless your heart is in the right place. All right, well, today we're going to talk about worship in our church, um, keeping God centered and God focused in the life of our church um, and how um, we can maintain that. This may seem at the very outset like an unusual message because some of you may say, well, shouldn't God always be the center of focus in church? But we know that God is not always a center of focus in church. I have a friend of mine um, who I went to college with uh, who is a Air Force officer and uh, an aspiring pastor in another denomination. And he is sort of a pretty strict guy. And strict may be a little generous there. Um, but, you know, he is always on Facebook talking about, you know, churches who do what in his mind are, you know, horrible things. Not all those things that he mentions are necessarily horrible, but let's be honest, a lot of things that churches do today, and we talk about churches as a whole in America, may have little to do with God or may have little to do with the gospel. Instead, they may have a lot to do with pleasing people. They may have a lot to do with, um, you know, just making people feel good. I mean, when you go to seminary and you become a pastor, there's a huge undercurrent in American churches, which is don't do anything to make people mad. Don't do anything to challenge them, because if you do, they're going to get mad and they're going to leave your church. Your church won't be big, and all the other pastors will look down on you because they'll say, well, you have a little church. And so the undercurrent in American Christianity, because it's so consumerist-oriented, is the fact that if we do not have certain things, if you, if you can't put on a big performance, then it's not really church. But my argument, and I think it's a very biblical argument, is that the numbers don't really matter. It doesn't really matter if it's big or small. What matters is, is whether it's honoring God in its worship. And to honor God in its worship is more than just having great music, although great music is nice and it's important. And throughout the history of the Bible, uh, throughout the history of God's people, great music has always been something that we've rejoiced in, right? But it's more than just having great music. It's more than just having a bunch of happy people. It's more than just having a very limited um, under, you know, sort of a very limited uh, biblical teaching part and a big process part, a big happy, happy, joy, joy kind of part. And so one of the problems, one of the issues that we face as we go through life um, is this issue of how do we keep God centered and focused in our church. Okay, so here's what the Bible says. Let's go ahead and break it down here real quickly this morning. Um, we'll see what the Bible says. And um, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you want to open your Bibles there, you're welcome to do that. And uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And then we will go um, from verse, uh, starting in verse 19. I'm going to open there as well. Um, you can look at it on the Jumbotron, of course. Um, but um, I will, um, I will, um, I'll open to it as well. So, um, just so we could be clear here, Hebrews chapter 10. This is a really interesting passage in Hebrews that deals with how we as a church um, worship God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Okay, let's go ahead and break this down real quickly. Um, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain 
into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Okay, So we've we got two different ideas working here. This first idea working with about how we um, are you know, for how we deal with this issue of forgiveness and then this idea of meeting together in corporate worship. All right, let's break it down here real quickly. Um, first idea this morning, two ideas you want to follow along in your handout. First idea this morning is that we must put God first in our church. It is necessary for us to put God first um, in our church. Um, we've been talking about this, uh, putting God first in our lives, first in our family, first in our church. But again, it can be very deceptive because... A lot of times, ritual gets in the way of worship, right? I mean, it, it, it can... Let me give you a different... Let me just take it from another tack. If you get a bunch of different people together and you have great inspirational music and you have a time of love and forgiveness, is that church? And you meet in a building with a steeple. Well, not really, Right? Because God is missing in that. You, you might describe that as a peace rally. <laughs> you might describe that as a concert. I mean, I don't know, Celine Dion, right? Is it, I've, I've never been, is it, you know, you know, all, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm sure that we could go to, there's probably concerts where we could go to where people just kind of, you know, get together and, you know, it's all about, you know, but the question is, is that what church is supposed to be about? Well, Hebrews gives us this idea here, so let's break it down real quickly. We must put God first in our church. Um, this is really, really important because if we don't put God first, we don't make him central, then ultimately, at best, we have a lukewarm church, and at worst, we have what? Not a church at all. And there's certainly, I, I can promise you that there are organizations in America that build themselves as a church, but probably don't meet any of the criteria of a biblical church. All right, so let's talk about doing it here. We don't care about those churches. We're going to deal with that. All of our worship is predicated on forgiveness. Now, this is the Bible starts here in chapter in uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 19 um, and forward. Um, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great priest who rules over God's house, and it keeps on going here, but the idea here is that when we worship God, that it is predicated on us doing what? On the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. That really is the op the door that opens us up to be able to worship. So this is really important because like I said the first week, I said, you know what, if you're not a believer, if you have not committed your life to the Messiah, it doesn't matter when, if you're not faithful to God, it doesn't matter when you live, um, even if you live before the time of the Messiah, that was still fine. But at some point in time, you have to enter into relationship with God if you've never done that, you cannot worship God. Why can you not worship God? Because you cannot worship God in a way that you think is appropriate. You have to worship God in the way that he established for him to be worshipped. Why? Well, it's just the nature of the relationship. He's kind of bigger than us, and he kind of decides a few of the factors. Like he decided that our oceans would be blue, 
rather than red. I don't know why. You could take it up with him. He gets to decide that because he's creator, okay? In the same way, because God, he gets to decide a little bit about how everything will work out. By the way, when you had a relationship with God in the Old Testament period, right? Long before Jesus the Messiah, how did people enter into relationship with God? How did they demonstrate? How did they, especially when it comes to church worship, how did they demonstrate it? They went to the temple and they made sacrifice. Why did they make sacrifice? They made sacrifice because the sacrifice symbolized that God had forgiven them of their sins, right? That God had eliminated their sins and it cleaned them up so that they might be able to have relationship with him. And that's a big, big deal. And in fact, it is really the heart of where worship comes. That if we accept that Christ has died for us and that we are able to be forgiven by God, that is what opens the door for us to do worship. Um, the Bible here uses this example of... Um, uses this example of entering into the most holy place, right? Because in the Old Testament, people weren't able to enter into the most holy place because they, that's where God dwelled, or that was the symbol of where God dwelt. So they kept it holy, which means they kept it separate from everything else. Although really, separation is only the secondary idea of holy. Really, holiness has to do with God being perfect, and we, you know, it's like we cannot, we can, it's hard for us to just grab hold of and understand God because he is so perfect. So all of our worship is predicated on forgiveness. You know, we, we, we come to church and we sing, but I hate to say it, in this situation, Hollywood is right one out of a million times. Tyler Perry is because he claims to be a Christian and grew up in the church, you know. But, um, you know, like Alfre Woodard or whatever her, the lady's name is said, um, you know, that, you know, it's about Jesus forgiving you of your sins that really makes a difference. The, the other lady, Kathy Bates, whatever her name is, the other lady was focused on what? Focused on the music, you know, how the music was really powerful. And that's a danger because we have plenty of churches around our country, and it's even a danger for us, you know, for us to get so wrapped up in the music, so wrapped up in the doing, so wrapped up in just sort of the ritual of going to church that we can forget that it is our relationship with God that must drive everything. And that, in fact, if we're not... If we are not going to God, if we're not going to God and asking for forgiveness, if we're not forgiven, then it is impossible for us to enter into that most holy place. All right, so let's let's look at some things here as we talk about this issue, this principle of worship. Let me kind of restate this again, because I know this is a little bit, this is not the easiest thing to understand. So here's the thing. In the Old Testament, people wanted to worship God, Okay. This is a reference to the Old Testament, reference to before Jesus. People wanted to worship God, right? Those chosen people who desired to worship God, God said, okay, here's what you need to do. To demonstrate your worship to me, you need to go to the temple and you need to make sacrifice, okay? So they would go to the temple and they would make sacrifice. And that sacrifice did not remove their sins or did it make them right with God. What it did do, though, was to be a covering, was to be an example, was to be sort of a hedge to the point where God would bring the Messiah into the world and their sins would be forgiven forever, okay? So it's like credit again. We talked a lot about how God extends credit even though he hasn't worked everything out completely, meaning he hasn't done everything completely. So what happens is people could go into the temple, they would make the sacrifice, their sins would be covered over, basically forgiven, that's a shorthand version. They'd be covered over and then they'd be able to do what? enter in and worship God. Now, they wouldn't go into the most holy place, but they would be able to go into the outer chamber and they'd be able to worship God there, right? And so in our time, we basically do the same thing, right? 
for us to be able to worship God, we come into a quote unquote church, right? We offer our sacrifice to God, but the beginning of that sacrifice is to be forgiven of our sins. And then as soon as we go um, to the point where we have then uh, expressed our faith in Christ, been forgiven our sins, put God first, then we are able to worship him. And as Hebrews says, it's even better now after Christ came because we can actually enter into the most holy place. That's the difference that the writer of Hebrews is making because in the Old Testament, people didn't know who the Messiah would be. People didn't know who Jesus would be. And so they just had, sort of had to guess. They knew that God was going to bring a Messiah, but they didn't know all the details. Now, though, we actually know and it enables us to go right directly to Jesus and sort of enter into the most holy place as it's described um, here in the Bible. And so what happens is, is that that, my friends, has to be sort of the center of worship. Church worship starts with us seeking after God, starts with us seeking after God. The myth, um, I guess, of the American church service is that people will come into church um, and that somehow they will connect with God there. You know, that they will come in. You know, this church service I really want to show, but I can't show because the movies are. And I decided that, I, and as a general rule, I would not show any R-rated movie clips, right? But there's an old movie called The Blues Brothers. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may not have seen it. It's a crazy movie, and I don't, it's okay. Just, we won't get into the positive and negatives of it. I'm sure it was scandalous when it first came out a long, long time ago. Um, and in the movie, in, in that particular movie clip, you know, the people, uh, the, the guys come into the church, right? And the church is jumping up and down, and people are acting all crazy and that sort of thing. And, you know, they come in, and it allows them to kind of connect with God. You know what I mean? Um, and our, our culture is very much like that, that we come in, and we're like, okay, God, pour it on me. Give it to me here now. And when that doesn't happen, we just sit in our pew, we get mad, and then we go home, and we say, well, we're not really worried about God. We don't really care about God. And, and so, you know, it didn't really happen the way I wanted to. But a big part of knowing God is to actually seek Him. You know, the Bible talks a lot about this, right? Seek God where He will be found. Follow God. You know, there's a lot of verbs in the Bible, if you want to just break it down on a real grammatical level, about seeking and following and finding God. Why is that? Well, again, I think it goes back to the nature of God, which is that God doesn't want to demand worship from us. He doesn't want to say, you will worship me, bow down before me, because that's not his style. His style is one of love. His style is one of grace. And so it's very easy for us to take that grace and assume that God then is just going to be non-graceful. You know, we understand God's grace when we become a believer, but then we expect him to do all the work, to do, you know, to completely just, you know, tell us what to do at that point. But God never works like that. He never forces himself. He never demands so much. He never makes us do stuff a lot of times. I mean, of course, there's always exceptions, and the Bible has those exceptions. But when we really know God and we really think about God, that it's impossible for us to say that he forces people on a regular basis to worship him. Instead, we have to seek after him. And so church worship starts with us seeking after God. It's us deciding in our hearts that we're going to put God first. Listen, when you walk in on, every, on Sunday morning, when you walk in every Sunday morning, you have to decide whether or not you're going to worship God that morning or not. And there's nothing I can say to make you worship God. Listen, Ramir can do the most beautiful guitar in the world. I mean, JR, Jen, I mean, they, you know, it's awesome, right? 
Sorry, did I do the American Idol pose right now? Okay. It doesn't matter because we can have the most beautiful music in the world. And it is not the music that is worship to God's ears. What is music? What is worship to God's ears? Or the Bible uses the idea of smell, right? A sweet savor to the Lord. What is it? It's the people who come in and choose to open their heart to God. That is what worship is to God. When we sing, when we dance, that's awesome. But if the singing and dancing is just because that's what we do, it is not worship. It is just simply singing and dancing. Church worship starts with us seeking after God. If you go to church and there's 2% of the people there seeking after God and 98% worried about other things, thinking about the football game, thinking how quick I can get out of here, thinking about just, oh, the music's good today, oh, pastor's wearing that shirt I hate, you know, that sort of thing, right? That is not worship. And in fact, those kind of churches will struggle with worship because worship will be man-centered rather than God-centered. And one of the things that, that will cause a church to not reach people, it doesn't again, doesn't size doesn't matter here because you can have small, boring churches, you can have large, boring churches, you can have large churches that are very effective and very God-centered in their worship. You can have small churches that are not God-centered in their worship. It, size doesn't matter. Even nothing else, really, the only thing that matters here is really whether the people's heart is attuned to God and they're preaching and they're speaking of Jesus and his, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. Because that's what opens the door to worship, those two things. So all of our worship is predicated on forgiveness, which means that we have to go to God and be forgiven of our sins and then that forgiveness of sins, that right relationship with Christ the Messiah, allows that door, as Hebrews says, to be opened up. When that door opens up, then we have to decide whether we're going to seek after God or whether we're going to seek after ourselves. I mean, listen, seriously, just let me pause here for a second. Every single one of you this morning, right now, you're deciding in your mind, in your heart, whether you're worshiping God or not. And I don't know whether you are or not, but God knows, and you know, Right? And so, you know, I don't know by your facial expressions, because that's all, facial expressions never really honest. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you know, somebody can be looking all glum and they're just because they're like, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You know, I'm, I'm a sinner, you know, and then other people might be looking all happy, but they're thinking about, man, the, did you know the 49ers are going to win today? It's going to be awesome. Praise the Lord, right? And that's what it's all about. And so what happens is, is that if we want worship in church to be significant then it has to be people seeking after god it cannot just be about the good music or the good speaking or the cool special guests or the cool slideshow those things are nice and important but they are not as significant nowhere near in this significant area as seeking after god better to go by the way let's assume you're stranded on a desert island out in the middle of the pacific and you have two church choices right you have a real happening church and then you have a real dead church that's really boring. My advice to you, don't choose it on whether it's happening or boring. Choose it on whether you can worship God or not. That's the right decision. And then if you, it's a boring one, just pray that you know God will help people understand that church is not supposed to be boring. Okay, But don't go to the exciting one just because excitement is equated into worship because it's not. Some of the best churches in America are churches which probably are not that exciting. And I can also say that some of the worst churches in America are terribly exciting. 
And so one of the challenges is not to confuse excited. Hey, you know what? I shouldn't tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you this story anyway. Uh, I know I don't really know this guy. He's a friend of a friend. A friend of a friend wrote a book. Uh, I've shared this like years ago, this story. A friend of a friend wrote a book um, on cheap psychological tricks, right? And so one of the cheap psychological tricks, uh, if you're dating, is the guy is supposed to, if you if you have a girl that you like, then you're supposed to take her to something, somewhere where it's really exciting. The more exciting, the better, okay? So if you, movie is only a little bit exciting, so movie doesn't really usually cut it. You're supposed to, on the first date, take her to, um, like, an amusement park. Why, in the book Cheap Psychological Tricks, would he recommend doing that? Because studies show that people confuse excitement, which, by the way, gets an adre- adrenaline rush, with uh, romantic feelings, which also also includes an adrenaline boost, okay? So what happens is, is that if the girl is even a little bit interested in you, if you take her to the Ferris wheel and you take her to the... I don't know, whatever the roller coaster is, then she is more likely to like you. You are more likely to start dating her because she will confuse adrenaline with romantic feelings, okay? Which is why guys for years have always taken them, girls to the boardwalk or whatever, I suppose. Now, I'm not saying this for you guys to do this that are single. More important for the girls that are single to realize that's a cheap psychological trick, okay? Um Better to go to Barnes & Noble or somewhere quiet and boring and find out if the person's compatible with you. That's a much better choice. But we do that about churches, right? I mean, we do that about a lot of things, you know? We confuse the adrenaline rush with the worship of God. And the worship of God is not really about an adrenaline rush. If you, let me just say it this way. I'm all for like, you know, I mean, I, I mean, okay, I, let me just say it this way. I was raised in a church that had really, that was pretty boring. I mean, it was, it was pretty boring. Let's just, just cut right to chase. It was pretty boring. And I really like, you know, a certain styles of modern worship, you know, that are, that are very powerful and very dynamic. I feel like, but of course there are powerful and dynamic churches that use older styles of worship too. There's nothing against that. But if, if you can't go to a boring church and still worship God, what's the problem there? Is the problem with the church or is the problem with you? Well, I would agree so because you know what? People are also, not you guys specifically, but people are always telling me, oh, I can worship God up on the mountain. Well, there's nothing more boring than sitting up on a mountain by yourself with a candle or whatever the case may be. Sorry, you're like, love nature. You may disagree with me, but that's pretty slow. That's pretty boring. So again, worshiping God, Hebrews sets it out here. Worshiping God is what? is us doing what? Asking for forgiveness, having a relationship with God through the Messiah, and then what? Entering into, seeking after God in his most holy place. Going in and entering into worship with God because we know God and because we love God. It is not sufficient for us just to come and sing. Our hearts must actively engage God for us to be worshiping God. It is, again, it is not the singing, it is not the standing, it is not the ritual. Why do people prefer rituals? We've talked about this before. Because rituals don't cause your heart to be connected to God, right? You can just go through the motions, and then you can just decide, well, you know what? I can choose or reject God at a later time. My heart is shut off from it. And we like to do that, right? I mean, if we have a difficult decision in life, we shut off our heart from it. We just decide what we want to do, or we choose not to do it, rather than making the decision. And we do that with God all the time. Listen, 
<clears throat> worship doesn't mean just walking into a building. That's not enough for it to be worship. Walking into the building is really only the beginning. Um, it is about us actually opening our heart to God and knowing Him. Second idea is that we must urge our church to worship. So again, it comes down to this community idea, this group idea of worship, because in, a, in the U.S., we tend to describe worship as being an individual thing. I come and I worship God, right? And my kids, if they come to church, they worship God also, you know, on the side or whatever, and then never the twain shall meet, right, as they say. And so what happens is, is that if we want to be a God-centered church, then it requires us to also want to worship God together. If we are a God-centered church, then I'm going to care about whether or not you're worshiping God. Now, I'm not going to micromanage that. There's a difference between caring and micromanaging, a big difference, okay? But I'm going to care whether or not you worship God. By the way, many of you are sitting here thinking, well, I'm not the pastor. I don't need to care whether other people worship God, but that's not really true. Because a pastor is an arbitrary distinction between my, uh, regular people and other regular people. Okay, There's nothing hierarchical about this. I should be worshiping God, and you should be worshiping God, and we should encourage each other to worship God as well. That there should be a community aspect of this. Let's break this down. Let me read this again, because this, really, this is really key here, uh, what he says here in 24 and 25. Let us start in verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so what happens is the Bible is telling us that we should worship together. That that's the whole point of church, that we come together to worship God. And it's not that we're each thinking about individual things, but that our hearts should be together, that we as a people should be, there should be some togetherness about this. Church worship is a community experience. It's not designed to be an individual experience. Now, listen, I, 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 listen I've worked on staff at a at very large church, okay? And I know that, it, and at BBC, it doesn't matter size because it happens here at BBC too. I know there's a segment of people, it's just more in larger churches, but they like to come in and sit in the back row, right? And I'm not opposed to that per se, meaning, you know, it's nothing about where you sit. But we like to come sit in the back row and then do what? Not get involved, not get connected, right? But is that really worship when you come listen to a music and listen to a sermon and then leave and have no spiritual connection with anyone there or emotional connection? Is that worship? Well, let me just say it this way. It pushes the definition of worship. I'm not going to say it's not worship because let's assume Dennis goes on vacation and he visits someone's church. He doesn't have a connection there, but he's in there. He can worship God, certainly, because worshiping God primarily is about Dennis connecting and opening his heart to God, seeking after God. OK, so I'm not going to say it's not worship. But if Dennis did that over and over and over and over again, it would push the definition of worship because one of the sub definitions of worship is it being a community activity. It's something what we do together. Which is why the Bible tells us, do not give up worshiping together. You've got to do it. Worshiping together is very, very important. It's not a singular exercise. If it was a singular exercise, then God wouldn't have done it this way. He would have just give everyone the Bible and just let them go to it, have at it, whatever they wanted to do by themselves, rather than make it a community 
experience. Listen, one of the things that's a challenge for us here at BBC is it's not really a church when people don't know other people. When you're not invested in other people's lives at church, your commitment to the church, and I, and by the way, I don't necessarily mean BBC, I mean the church of God here, that your commitment to the church is very low because your ability to worship is also going to be limited. Your ability to worship is going to be a singular experience rather than a community experience. And again, the problem is the Bible doesn't really define it that way. Let me say it again. Let's hold tightly without wavering the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise Okay, about this thing. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. I know there's a period in English, but keep going. And including in this is we cannot neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. Again, it doesn't say get an individual serving of God and you're good. It says what? That we should actively engage one another, actively engage one another, encourage them to come and be a part of worship and to unite with a church. What does church mean? Church means an assembly or a gathering of the people of God. That's what it means. Church is what God established through Jesus to be the vehicle by which the gospel goes into all the world. He didn't establish it to be a mission agency. Nothing wrong with that, but he established a mission agency. He didn't establish a Bible society. Nothing wrong with that. He didn't establish a parachurch organization. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what God established. He established a local church whereby people come together and worship God that way. So here's the thing. Am I telling you that you have to encourage and urge other people at BBC, if this is your home church, to worship God? Yes. Now, that doesn't mean go and nag people. I'm not saying that, you know. But if the only person that BBCers here encourage them to come to church is me, then we have lost as a church. We have lost it because it has become a church whereby sort of a hierarchical church where the pastor is, like, in charge And the people are just consumers or participants rather than active ministers of the gospel. But that's a challenge because God calls all of you to be an active minister of the gospel. Some of you will say, well, pastor, I'm not a minister because I don't have a title. I don't have the education. Those things are false. Those are false trophies that mean nothing. Mean nothing. That all of us have the responsibility and the privilege to be able to encourage other people to worship God, to know God, to be committed to God. That we have the opportunity to make God first in our lives, make Him a priority in our lives, make Him a priority in our church. And it's something that we should all be desirous of doing. There should be, you know, if we've gone through the process, what's the process, right? We know Christ, forgiven of our sins, right? We come into the most holy place, we're seeking after God. We should want to encourage other people to worship. We should want to encourage other people to worship. Oh, there's stories. I don't know whether I can share them or not. You know, it's so funny because in churches I have pastored, let's just put it this way, you can kind of tell where people's hearts is in one area. Because some people, when they come to church, they act as if, that the church should stop what it's doing for them. You know, and they sort of, the whole center of focus is about them. And they think about, well, what matters to them. But that's not what church is supposed to be about. 
Church is supposed to be about us seeking after God together. And so if I'm sitting next to someone and this person, let's say I visit a mega church and this person is, you know, just being rude, obnoxious and, you know, uh, just just not worshiping, just not doing anything. Right. It doesn't really make for church. And so we can tell whether we're a church because we're putting God first in our lives rather than first in our church. Also, rather than putting him second, it's not about the music. It's about us keeping God first in our hearts. And that's what allows people to worship. If Widodo's sitting over there and he's thinking about the Jets game. Sorry, I'm in New York again. Thinking about the 49ers game, right? And it's going to be harder for people to worship around him because he's distracted. Whether he means to or not is another issue. I'm just picking on Widodo here. He's not thinking about that. But if Dennis is thinking there and he's doing his taxes, you know, while he's in church, it's also distracting, you know. And so we keep God focused in our lives and we encourage other people to do it. When you see people out from BBC, when you see them out there, out in the street, when you see them at Safeway, do you encourage them, you know? Or are you like, hey, I know you go to church. Okay, see you later, man. Or do you encourage them to say, you know, I want to see you, hope to see you on Sunday. Remember we talked about when we did our lukewarm series that you have, doesn't matter how the size of the church, every person influences about eight people. Have you thought about your eight people? You can be at a huge church. You can be a small church. doesn't matter. It's about eight people that you will really be able to influence. Have you thought about your eight people? Who are the eight people you're influencing? Do you have, do you have zero people you're influencing for God? Do you have eight people you're influencing for God? Finally, real quickly here, church worship must move from heart to hand. In order for this to really happen, um, it's got to move from our heart to our hand. Let's think about ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works Let's not neglect our meaning together, as some people do. When we summarize all this idea, that when we come in, we worship God, when God is the center of our focus at church, it will cause us to want to be in service at our church. That's what it means. Because if we, are, if we love God and we worship Him, then we're going to want to serve God. And the most obvious example of a place to serve will be in their church. Oh yeah, I mean, Crisis Pregnancy Center, you know, all these things, they're awesome. If you want to serve there my blessing to you you know those are great but at the same time your local church should be the number one place where you want to serve why because it's where you're most likely to worship god it's where you're most likely to be connected to god it's where you're most likely to be connected to other people as well let me just put it this way from our series from our state of the church address in january you might be a lukewarm christian if you attend the church rather than partner with it in serving god right Lukewarm Christianity is defined by music over substance. It's defined by acting over reality and authenticity. It's defined by attending rather than partnering with and being a part of. It's Lukewarm Christianity is defined as being a spectator rather than being an actor, right? You know, we talked about this in our life groups. Most people would think that Worship is about you being the spectator because you come in and you sit in the auditorium, right? But the truth is, is that worship, corporate worship, church worship especially, God is the one who is a spectator. We are the actors. We are the ones who are, who are demonstrating and giving our worship to God. Most, most churches struggle with this because they flip, and most, and we'll include ourselves here, we flip it on the, on the, we reverse it. We think that we're the spectator. We think that if the worship is good, that we will enjoy it and be pleasing to us. But worship is about pleasing God. 
And nothing makes God more pleased than when we're willing to serve each other and love each other in the body of Christ. That's why God established it for that purpose. And if we just become an attender rather than a doer of the word, then we become a lukewarm Christian. We stay outside of true worship. Our heart will really never seek after God in the way that he intended. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you that we are able to worship you and be committed to you. Father, we thank you that we are able to uh, keep you centered in our lives and in our church. Father, we pray for BBC, that BBC would be a God-centered church. Lord, we pray for a lot of churches in our country that struggle with this issue of keeping God first. Lord, we pray that you would, we don't condemn them. We just pray that you would bless them and encourage them in that way. Father, but for our church, help us to keep God centered in our lives and in our in the life of our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.